Welcome back to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Bridget Flaherty. And I am Kiana Daniels. And today is a very special episode. We are going to be focusing on Kiana's story today. So Kiana, let's start off with a question we ask all of our guests. What does healing mean to you? So healing for me is very comprehensive and complex and it is an ongoing journey that we are on for the entirety of our life. It is many layers deep. Every layer you go a little bit deeper and deeper. It is a journey of self-reflection, of learning and unlearning ourselves. It is seasonal, it is challenging, it is beautiful and it is a roller coaster of a ride. It takes us on a lot of twists and turns and valleys and pits <laughs> and heights, I'll say. I can resonate with that, that's for sure. So when did the healing journey begin for you? So it officially started in 2015. The deep dive, the first deep dive started in 2015. Prior to that, there were signs that I needed to heal, but I was not mature enough, I think, or aware enough to understand what it all meant. I had feelings that things needed to change. And so I would say five years prior to 2015, it kind of was the first inkling that I felt. So 2010, I was a junior in college. I had finally got into the point of finishing a relationship that had gone on way too long. So my high school boyfriend that like kind of lasted the longest and it was a six year relationship kind of on and off, mostly on. And it was the ending of that season in relationship. And there was some infidelity and cheating and just some things that happened. My heart was broken. And that was kind of the first inkling that I felt like I need to do some healing or I needed some change in my life. Also from a spiritual perspective, because I am very strong in my faith, I had a feeling like God had been trying to get a hold of me and I kept running. I wasn't ready because growing up in the church, you hear these things that I kept feeling like as an adult, I wanted to make the decision to get baptized. And so in the church, you hear all these things about like, when you give your life to God, you have to stop doing all these other things in life, which like in my young mind was I had to stop living and I was not ready to stop living just to have a relationship with God. So I kept running, but I kept feeling the pool. So that was another sign. And then I was just outgrowing friendships because I was growing in a lot of areas and I was just on this quest to be better. And so I did not have the words to always properly let my friends know this isn't working for me anymore. 
I remember saying things, but I don't think I handled it well. So one of my best friends, I ghosted her. Now my mature self is like, you don't do that to people. I discarded her and I feel terrible that I did it back then. I did make it right though. I apologized to her in 2018. But like I said, I was too young to understand the damage that I was doing. And so those were some of the signs leading up to the 2015 deep dive that I knew that there was something brewing on the inside of me, some changes that needed to be made. And I was just not fully prepared or equipped to understand it all. And so in 2014, my grandmother passed and that was my safe haven my soulmate, my best friend, she was like everything to me. And I had this unrealistic view that she would live forever. And so when she was quickly taken away because of lung cancer, I was angry. I was hurt and I was angry. I was in pain and I was grieving. And so I remember being mad at God. And then the whole last relationship that I had, there was some remnants of that that I was still dealing with. And I was angry at him. And so I had a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. In 2011, when my father, who I knew all my life, but I did not have a relationship with because he was not present, but I had hope that he would finally step up on my college graduation. He didn't show up and that pissed me all the way off. And it hurt my feelings and the hope that I had, it quickly went away. It was replaced with anger and hurt and unforgiveness. And so I needed to forgive. I had a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. It was weighing me down. It was really starting to feel very heavy and it was showing up physically in my body and in my emotions. I would just sometimes feel sad out of nowhere when I consciously was not sad, but it was undealt with things because I was suffering in silence, holding on to a lot of things. and. The daddy issues also was showing up in my dating habits. So I would say verbally, tell myself, I want to be in a relationship. I want to be in love. I want to date all these things. And I was dating and entertaining men and everything. But my actions and my words were not aligned because what actually was happening was I actually had guards up. I had like a barbed wire around my heart and around me. So when actual good guys were trying to be with me or court me, it was very hard for them. And I noticed that. And I had to start doing some self-reflection. Like, why is this happening? Why am I giving them such a hard time? And when I unpacked that, in my mind, I said, I need to figure out what this block is. It became clear to me that I had daddy issues that I never knew I had. And so what that showed up as in dating was fear of abandonment, fear of rejection. I had trust issues. I did not believe men So when they would say things, if their actions was not aligned with their words, I would just be like, you know, I believe when I see it. And that all was because I had daddy issues. So when I started to see all of those things in 2015, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go on ahead and be single and celibate and I'm going to do work on me. I am going to figure out what is going on on the inside of me that is allowing me to show up the way that I'm showing up in the world, in my friendships, in dating and like really deal with the hurt and the pain that I was dealing with and holding on to. And so between 2014 and 2015, because I started counseling via my grad school, the insurance that it paid for, I started counseling in 2014. It was right before my grandmother passed. So at first I started counseling for the dating and trying to understand the daddy issues. And then in the midst of that, my grandmother got sick in August of 2014. She had some fluid on her lungs. And the doctor said, well, it's either an infection or lung cancer. And so we're going to have to figure it out. 
And so she quickly started to decline and I was still at school. And actually one of the things that my mom was not all the way honest about everything that was going on with my grandmother because she wanted me to stay focused in school because I was supposed to graduate December of 2014. And so my sister was the one who told me like, you need to get home. And so in the midst of all of that, me being in counseling already for daddy issues, I had switched the focus from daddy issues to like dealing with the grieving of my grandmother and the possibility of her passing. And so that really started the first deep dive of my healing. And it was difficult as shit. (laughs) It was difficult as shit. That's when it started. So when you started on this journey, what were some of the big ahas? Like what was coming up for you? What were you realizing? Well, I think first and foremost, the whole daddy issue thing, like really saying that out loud and acknowledging that, admitting that. And that was hard for me because I was so convinced that I was good. I was 25. I actually used to pride myself on not having daddy issues because my father wasn't present. And so that was the first aha moment, admitting that out loud. And I remember my counselor, she had a lot of different modalities. It was like some physical things, like it was very engaging. And so she would have me talking through that in therapy. I remember being so emotional, but also I remember, and it's a guy that I'm still friends with today. And it's like, I love him as a person and he loves me to death. Like he would do anything for me. And I'm so grateful for the friendship. But we tried dating. And so that was one of the other things I was talking about in counseling. I was giving him a try because he's such a nice guy. And this was a question that I kept asking myself. Why is it so hard for me to date good guys who are smart and intelligent, who have college degrees and all of that stuff? Why is it difficult for me to give myself to them? And he was one of them. And I was working through that. and so some of the aha moments where she was asking me questions. Well, you know, why do you think that you need to be with him? Talking through a lot of this stuff out loud with someone was a very uncomfortable thing to do for me because I had not had practice of sharing and being vulnerable at that point, up until that point. I was the one that people would share with and be vulnerable with and trust all their information and even other people's information. And I just had not had practice. So that whole experience was very uncomfortable for me. And then in that, talking about why is it difficult for me to date good guys, that also had to do with the daddy issues because subconsciously, my father not being present in my life made me attracted to guys who were emotionally and physically unavailable. And so a lot of that was coming up for me. And I'm like, whoa, that's some deep shit. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, okay. It really is uncomfortable to admit some kind of messed up things about yourself. How childhood traumas show up and how we perpetuate them in various ways throughout our life. And so that was another aha moment for me. But this whole notion kind of switching back to my grandmother and processing that and like the possibility of her passing this unrealistic notion that she would live forever. We talked through that and where that came from. And I think it was just because she was my safe haven as a child. I felt like she saw me and she heard me because some of the things that I'm unpacking now in my second deep dive is that I did not feel seen and heard in my household a lot of times because I'm the middle child and there's a real middle child syndrome. And 
my grandmother was that for me. And so she was everything that I needed. So to ever think that that could go away for me was what made me believe unrealistically that she would live forever because I needed her. So those are some of the main things that came up for me. And it was just really deep to talk through those things. But it was very helpful because it helped me to stop some unhealthy patterns that I was perpetuating in my life. I think it's really interesting the timing of this understanding and realization that you had some fears of abandonment because of your father at the same time that you're losing your rock in your life, which can also feel like an abandonment. Yeah. And I never prepared myself. And I don't know if anybody ever really prepares themselves for the passing of loved ones, but I never prepared myself to lose the rock. And it was just very difficult. Even now, like I have a memory bear of my grandmother with her two favorite robes and her perfume. Well, the perfume isn't on there anymore. We're about to celebrate seven years of her being in heaven on the 2nd of December. And I talk to her every day now. Seems surreal that she's gone. I know that she's gone and I've accepted that she's gone. But because I have her memory bear, it is a part of my morning routine, daily routine that I speak to her. I greet her. And throughout the day, because it's in my office. And so I still have her. I still have that safe haven. And I find myself oftentimes saying, I just wish that you were here. Like physically, you're here. Your spirit is here because I have a lot of her antiques in my home. So her spirit is definitely here and present because she was my best friend. I literally, I don't talk to anybody every day, even my best friend. I don't talk to her every day. The one person that I talked to every day when she was alive was my grandmother. Like. When I was in grad school, I would call her between classes and everything. We would just process everything. She was the homie. So it's just interesting. So what patterns, in the first deep dive, what patterns did you seek to change? So you talked about daddy issues, fear of abandonment, and obviously working through with a therapist. You learn a lot about yourself. But then the next step is to change those patterns. So what did that look like for you? Well, I'm a learn-by-doing kind of person. So... The way that I learn is first by seeking knowledge and understanding, then getting the tools, and then experimenting, so implementing it. So while I was in counseling, learning these things about myself, some of the things that helped me first and foremost after realizing all this information about myself was to share because I was not in the practice of sharing. And I think I longed to be able to share with my friends and my tribe and to be vulnerable. And it actually hurt my feelings that my friends didn't ask me, how are you, Kiana? What do you need? But I also didn't know how to say, hey, I need this. I didn't know how to use my words back then. So part of my homework in therapy was to share. So it was to like first start off with one person and then it was to build up to five people and trusted people that I wanted to know information about me. And so that was part of the homework and the part of me growing to become vulnerable and to get into the habit of sharing. In that, what I learned was that I had support. There was no judgment. I had other safe spaces. Not only my grandmother was my safe space. And so what that did was, and we talk about this all the time on our podcast, is like, vulnerability builds bonds. And I say that all the time because I learned that on my journey. The bonds with my friends and 
even my sister, who's one of my best friends, my little sister, it started to make us get closer. Our bonds started to get stronger. And so I am now in the practice of, I think I, I am a little bit too vulnerable sometimes and too transparent. So sometimes I have to be very cognizant of that because not everybody's ready for that. But I think for me, I was I felt like I was in a prison before and had shackled. And now it's just like, I'm never going back to that because I used to suffer in silence and it didn't feel good because I was holding a lot in and I would feel it physically. So now I'm just kind of like naturally in a practice because I started to do it often. And that was all thanks to therapy. The other thing when it came to dating, I would learn the lesson about myself and then I would go do these experiments about what I learned to actually practice on men, okay? <laughs> I would like say, okay, I'm going to get on this dating app and I'm going to kind of be open to like however the man comes, right? If that's at the grocery store, the gas station, on the app, whatever, I'm just going to put myself out there so that I can experiment and really like put what I'm learning to the test and to see, am I going to continue unhealthy habits in dating or have I actually grown in these areas? Am I using my words to say, no, that's not okay. I don't want that actually. Or to even hold men accountable to be more, to be better for me, like in actually courting me and respecting me. And because of my daddy issues, I used to attract and be attracted to emotionally and physically unavailable men. I would watch that. I would like be very cognizant and intentional about those behaviors with the men like their habits, and then also me entertaining that. It would take a while for me to shift in my behavior, in my patterns, and then there would be other times where I would pass the test. And passing the test was something that was important to me because it meant that I was growing incrementally. And now, of course, it's been years since I've been in my healing journey, so I'm a lot smarter, a lot wiser, a lot more mature, and I treat myself with the utmost respect, and I require that of other people. Snaps. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you talked about your second deep dive, which is more recent. What was the catalyst for your second deep dive? Ooh, family dysfunction. <laughs> family dysfunction. I think it started last August. Yeah, it started last August because I actually had to cut my family off for a couple of months. And while that was very difficult, it was very necessary. Some of our guests have talked about family dysfunction and the toxic family norms that are perpetuated in our families. And my family, we are very passionate talkers and people. So what that looks like is we are elevated in our tone. We are all very assertive and direct, which comes off as aggressive. We are all very strong-willed and headstrong. We don't listen to each other. We don't really hear each other. And so we're always kind of talking over each other. But what that kind of turns into is screaming matches. And growing up in my household at certain times, there was some domestic violence physically and I would say emotionally and verbally. And so I have PTSD from that. So when we start to kind of elevate and tone and aggression and passion, it's like I'm the nice one in our family. I'm the one who likes to keep the peace. And it takes a lot for me to get there. But when I'm there, I go, right? And so everybody in the family will look at me crazy, like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, really? <laughs> what's wrong with me? We There was so much that could have happened 
before we got to this level that I was saying at a low tone, but that's not heard in our household. So the only way for you guys to hear me is if I'm up here. And so I got tired of that because as I'm elevating and I'm getting better and I'm, I'm learning things, toxic norms that I don't want to perpetuate in my family and generational curses that I'm trying to break for myself, but also for my future children, it is very difficult to coexist in those spaces sometimes. And so like, for some reason, even though we were in a pandemic last year, when COVID started, my family, we got together a lot. And it was very unusual because we know <laughs> it's a running joke in our family. We get about two to three days and that's it. We can never do a long vacation together or anything. Like we get on each other's nerves because we're too much alike. <laughs> and so I couldn't understand why we were spending so much time together. It was like every other weekend we were doing barbecues and everything. And I mean, it was it was nice and it wasn't because a lot of the times it was actually really great. We didn't do a lot of the arguing and all of that. But then there would be times where where we would and those unhealthy and toxic family norms that had been perpetuated from childhood, I was just like, this is toxic to me. I can't be around anymore. And I don't want to be estranged from my family. But at the same time, y'all not hearing me. So I'm going to remove myself because it's not y'all, it's me. I'm the one who's the anomaly at this point, right? And I'm asking you all to change. So if that's too difficult, because I understand that change management takes time and it, it can be difficult, I'll remove myself. And I had to do that. And that put me back into therapy. And I was just like, I have to process this because if I don't, I literally am going to be estranged from my family because I can't take it anymore. I don't have the physical, the mental, emotional or spiritual capacity to be in the spaces with them if we don't understand how to talk better to each other and be respectful and actually listen. And if they can't hear me when I say or start to share my healing journey with them and what I'm learning about myself and what I'm learning about my childhood and what I'm unpacking is to hold people accountable, myself included, it is very uncomfortable. And so that's what I was realizing. And so that's really what took me into my second deep dive of healing. And also, I think I was in a relationship at the time and it was a good relationship, but there was a lot of like things that we were dealing with in our relationship as well from a communication perspective, because we're just two different personalities. And I needed to process that too, because I got critiqued a lot. <laughs> I got critiqued a lot. And I think it was, it was helpful and not helpful at the same time. Because there was some projection there, of course. That's something that we all do to each other. But I felt like there was a lot of projection of his stuff onto me that wasn't mine. But I could own the stuff. I feel that I could own the stuff that was mine. But then there was a lot that wasn't. And I was just like, I need to talk to a professional who is paid to talk to people to help them process the things that they're dealing with. Because... I need to figure out what my part in all of it is so that I can first fix me and then figure out how to communicate properly in a way that people will understand me without being aggressive, what their part is. So I needed tools. I needed to get tools. I didn't have the tools for my second deep dive at first. And now I have them and I'm still getting them. But yeah, that's what started my second deep dive. And I've been unpacking a lot of childhood stuff that I wasn't ready for in my first deep dive that I'm a lot more prepared for and mature, I think, enough to 
process and deal with without putting blame on other people. But just what it feels like now is that, oh, this is insightful. This is really good for me to hear now and to see where these things started and why I show up the way I show up now. So it's very much about myself, not external forces, even though it included a lot of external people, if that makes sense. (laughs) That absolutely makes sense, especially when the childhood stuff is being re-triggered by the same people. So how did your family react to your withdrawal? To an extent, I think they... I would do that from time to time. Me being in St. Louis, that was isolation at the highest level. And it was wonderful to be away from family. I love my family. We actually are a very tight-knit family, but we have work to do. And I don't know if this is a weird thing or not, but I am not a person that needs to see or talk to my family all the time every day. That is the norm for a lot of people. And I have friends and family that need that. Like, my brother literally will ask me, have you talked to mom today? Have you talked to your sister today? And I'm like, no, I don't need to talk to them every day. That's not a need that I have. And I don't know if that has anything to do with my childhood, but I am very much comfortable not needing to be so, like, close. We are a tight-knit family, but I'm also very independent of them. And so, to an extent, I think they were somewhat used to it, but they were not used to me verbalizing it and holding them accountable and holding myself accountable to the boundaries that were very necessary for me to protect myself. Because one of the things that I noticed last year was that I would sometimes not be my best self around my family because they would bring out the worst in me because of those toxic family norms that they want to continue to perpetuate. I don't want to argue if we're debating, we can debate and we can do that respectfully and we don't have to be yelling, right? We don't have to scar each other in the process. I know how to communicate that way. But when people don't challenge themselves to debate in a healthy way, that's where it goes. And I was just like, I'm not going to participate in that. If y'all can't respect that, I'm just going to go. They were used to it, but they didn't like it. They didn't have a choice. I had to put myself first. Otherwise, I would be the worst of me. And I don't like being the worst of me because the worst of me is not a good person. We all have good and bad in us. Everybody who knows me knows that I am a very sweet, happy, joyful, positive person. But I'm going to be 100% honest. As much as I am all of those things, I can be all the opposite of those things as well. And I don't like who that person is. So it was imperative for me to take a break and regardless if they liked it or not, that was not a priority to me. I had to put myself first. So in taking a break and going to therapy and examining your reactions and who you were showing up as, what steps did you take to change, to change the dynamic? Well, I'm still in my second deep dive and I'm still unpacking a lot of stuff. And so I actually just recently I noticed that I somewhat kind of retreated again. I've actually been in a retreat place right now. Like every time my birthday comes and it's also fall, that is a very intentional time for me to go deep within and to retreat and to reflect on the previous year and to set intentions and to figure out 
what I want to manifest for the next year. And understanding who I am in every season is important to me. I am very intentional about that. And so a lot of times, I think we've said this on the podcast, we're healing and we're being very intentional about going deep and diving in and trying to tap in and tune in and be in alignment. Oftentimes what that feels like to other people is like we're isolating ourselves and that is very much what's happening. And so I have been noticing that I was so deep into it though, that at first I didn't care. I'm in a season and have been in a season of minding my business and putting myself first is what I call it. And it's been wonderful because it's a lot less stress because in my life, I don't like stress. I don't create stress or have room for it. But when I'm minding other people's business and not putting myself first, There is a lot of external stress that I feel and I just got to take that away because God is calling me to some spaces where I need to be very focused. He's elevating me in various ways and I needed to be really in tune. But I noticed it. I started to realize what it was looking like with my mom and my sister and my brother and even friends. And I intentionally had the conversation with my mom about the things that I had recently been unpacking. And what's been becoming clear to me about my childhood and why I show up the way I show up now as I am elevating because I'm finding it a little bit challenging to be who I'm supposed to be because I'm realizing that who I'm supposed to be was not nurtured as a kid in my household with other kids, things like that. And it made me dim my light and not be my full self for years. But now it's required of me to like step fully into who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And I'm finding it challenging a little bit because I'm just like, I don't like the limelight. I just want to be in the back, but I'm supposed to be impactful. How do I navigate that? And so I've been telling my mom about it. And so one of the things that came up for, for her was like, well, when you're getting these downloads and you're getting all this insight, you can be really aggressive when you're telling us about it. And it almost feels like you're force feeding us. And I'm just like, well, that's not my intent. And I guess I apologize. I don't know if I need to apologize, but that's not my intent. What I'm actually trying to do is just be very clear about what I need from you all and what I'm going to do for myself. And I have to set very clear boundaries because one of the other things that I learned I think last year in therapy, really working through family dysfunction was that I would get so mad at my family for not respecting my boundaries, but I was also not upholding my boundaries. And so understanding that I now uphold my boundaries, but sometimes for other people that feels very forceful. And so I don't want to be forceful for other people. I don't want them to experience me that way, but I also want to be clear. And so again, it's like, I have to put myself first and it's like, I can't keep thinking about what you feel because then that'll diminish what I'm feeling. It's very difficult to kind of like balance that. And so like balance is actually one of my words. I got it tatted and everything It's one of my words for this year is like, I have to really be intentional about practicing balance in everything and work in my relationships and my family with myself for myself in the management of who I am. And I also was sharing with my sister yesterday the things that I've been unpacking and the things that I've noticed in her oldest daughter, which is my niece, because I see myself a lot in her as a kid. And she talks to me. She's very vulnerable with me. And so I'm telling my sister, parents have blind spots with their children. And I'm like, well, 
I've noticed this about my niece and I want you to be cognizant of that as her mom, just thinking about all the things that I'm unpacking as an adult right now. I'm seeing a lot of that in my niece so that she doesn't kind of experience what I've experienced and dim her light and all of that stuff because she is very much like who I was. I want you to notice these things from an outsider perspective. And it's been really interesting. And so my sister is actually very receptive. My sister listens to me out of all the people in the world. She listens to me and I appreciate that. But and she also is a safe place for me to unpack and process with her the things that I've been realizing about myself and my childhood. That also includes her because not everybody in our family is going to be ready to receive the things that we're unpacking that includes them. And what I've learned sometimes in the past that that would make me not share. And what I'm not going to do is not share anymore because I've outgrown that. I can't go back to that. But realizing that everybody can't handle it means that, okay, they're not ready. They don't have the capacity. Our families have this view of us that often is based on our pre-healing journey self or it's our child version. It's really difficult for family to allow us to show up as somebody other than who they think we are. It's a difficult process. And I think it's really awesome that your sister is able to to listen and be present as you are transforming yourself and your relationship with your family. But it makes sense that other family members maybe can't or need more time. It's not easy. It's not easy on either side. It's not easy, no. What I don't want to happen as I'm healing and I'm unpacking a lot and I'm getting these downloads and realizing things about myself, what I don't want to happen as I'm getting the insight, which is very exciting to me because it helps me to learn how to manage myself better and navigate life a little bit easier. I don't want that to then shut other people down and I don't want them to feel like I'm playing a victim role or making them the perpetrator, right? I don't want them to feel like that in me just simply expressing the insight that I'm getting, right? And so I will say that is a thin line to handle or to navigate, but I am very intentional about understanding how it impacts people and still doing my healing at the same time. So if it means that I can't share right now, that's okay for me. I have people in circles and tribes that I can share with. And I also journal about it. And I'm an external processor, so I'm going to talk it out. (laughs) I'm like, man, my conversation to self is so funny, actually, because I'm just like, you know, I hold myself accountable. And if sometimes in the moment, I might not realize that I need to hold myself accountable and I'll process through and I'm like, oh, man, girl, what were you thinking? And I'll go back and I'll have that conversation with myself and I might tell friends and family about it too. And it's just very interesting. But yeah, it's a a thin line to navigate for sure. So what advice would you give to anyone who is on the healing journey or maybe even specifically who is seeking to address generational trauma? What would be your advice? I would say to First, trust yourself, understand that it is a process and it is a journey. And if we can look back on journeys and processes that we've been through, it means that we are going to have to endure some things, some challenging things, 
some great things, some not so pretty things. But the thing is, if we can remember that we've done it before, it may not have been this particular journey, but we've endured before. We can get through this. But then also to trust yourself because you're going to have to trust yourself. You oftentimes are the main person that is going to be right there with you on that journey. Sometimes it's not going to be other people. You will find other people on the journey who can be your tribe and who can be your support and things like that. But you have to start with trusting and loving yourself and really realizing that you're built for this. We're all built to become better and to become just like better versions of ourselves. I think there's various versions of ourselves. That's another thing. It's just like life is about seasons. There's a season for everything. And I think that if we can't understand that this season is going to look different than that season, and we're just kind of like a snake almost, like we're shedding layers of skin off of us in every season so that we can be prepared for the next step ahead. While it is challenging and difficult, it's also beautiful. And it's insightful and it brings a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding of ourselves, of other people, of the world. I mean, now on my healing journey, especially in terms of dating, I can almost tell like what kind of a childhood someone had. And if I want to engage with that person or not, because I can see red flags, I can see signs, certain traumas, certain triggers certain things like that. And not everybody is equipped yet or aware of those things, but it actually helps me to make better decisions and choices. So I'll say to somebody who's starting the journey or on the journey, if we surrender to the journey, it actually helps us to make better decisions and choices and not to hit our heads over and over and over again. When we don't try to learn the lessons where we're not intentional about it, it can hurt. We can live a hard, long life. And I'm not somebody that wants to live a hard, long life. I want to live a very easy, long life. Well, Kiana, I want to thank you for sharing you with us, sharing you with me. I appreciate you and what we are creating. I appreciate your friendship, your vulnerability, and your willingness to share this journey with me and with everyone. So thank you. Thank you, Bridget, for interviewing me. It is absolutely my pleasure. Well, this has been a very special edition of Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. Thanks for being here with us. I see new life. I see new tides. Carry on through the Transform through the tears, the audacity of you going through it all, the audacity of you trusting self all along. I see.